be willing to learn. We come into these industries where we're and try to establish ourselves as an expert, but if we don't have the skills and experience behind it, eventually people will see it. Gina Gomez is a business strategist and advisor working with some of the most well-known and well-respected professionals in the entertainment industry and the online business world, which includes being a member inside Marie Forleo's B-School program. But before she dove into entrepreneurship, she had a great full-time job in a leadership position, but nothing felt right about it. What it really was, was that I was not doing what I wanted to be doing. I was doing great work and I was working with great people and I got a lot of great, great opportunities, but I was miserable because I was not making the choices that were best for me and what I wanted in my career because I was terrified. I know you're going to relate to this. When you start your business, you struggle to see yourself as an expert because you've never done this thing independently for money before now. So should you fake it until you make it? Or like Gina says, lean into what makes you an expert right now. Or are they one and the same until your mindset can catch up with your actual experience? We dive into this and many other aspects of stepping into your leadership in this episode. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault at theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. In the full version, you'll hear Gina's story of growing up going to court with her father, a lawyer, and how her father's teachings and his passing change the course of her life forever. To watch, go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're stealing all your kids' Halloween candy because you never really have any other chance to eat milk duds anymore, head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the business coach by way of corporate, Gina Gomez. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career path responsible for multiple self-made millionaires, opening the doors for experts and professionals like you and me to stop living paycheck to paycheck and design a rich and abundant life with one purpose to help others. I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach. Listen for lessons and strategies that will turn you into the next global phenomenon. Today's episode begins now. Hello, everybody. Today, I have a really special person I've been looking forward to interviewing for a while. Her name is Gina Gomez. Gina, it is so nice to have you here. Thank you for coming by. Ina, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to this. All right, so why don't we start by you telling us really briefly, what do you do and who you serve right now? Sure, I'd be happy to. I am a business strategist and advisor specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I have a ton of business experience and bring that into the work that I do with clients. And I work primarily with leaders, established leaders in the personal development industry, online business world, as well as the entertainment industry. Can you tell us? When you were working, you know, in my research, it came up that there was a time when you were going to work and you were crying on the way to work and you were crying all the way back. And I think this is something that a lot of us can relate to 
right? That even though, like, I never hated my job, right? I quit my job three years ago. I never hated it. I loved it. I was up for a promotion right before maternity leave, and it got taken away while I was on maternity leave. And that's when I said, okay, heck no. You know, I deserve better than this. And that's when I decided to quit. But it wasn't that I hated being a project manager, that I hated my teams. I loved my developers that I worked with, right? So I started to get that sense from you, but I I don't want to put words in your mouth, right? I started to get that sense from you. Like, you know, it wasn't the job. There was something that was gnawing at you. Can you tell us what it was like at the time? Sure. It was a really confusing time and difficult time because on paper and to somebody who didn't know me, I had the perfect life set up. I was making really good money. I was part of a leadership team. I had great people that I got to work with. I was learning stuff every single day that was helping me strengthen my skill set and experience. Everything I could possibly want, I could have. And I was miserable. I was completely miserable. And I kept thinking, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the industry. There's something wrong with the company. There's something wrong with the job. But every time I would put it on something else, it would always come back and it'd be like, no, it's not the company. It's you. No, it's not the job. It's you. And I couldn't figure out what it was about me where I was so unhappy. And for a long time, I started to think, well, maybe I'm just not a happy person, but that's not who I am. So what happened? What happened that I thought I had all these dreams and all these things were going to happen? And I'm crying all the time. This was not in the brochure. (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. And what it really was, was that I was not doing what I wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. I was doing great work and I was working with great people. And I got a lot of great, great opportunities. But I was miserable because I was not making the choices that were best for me and what I wanted in my career because I was terrified because I was taught that if you leave a job where you're secure and you're making good money, it's irresponsible. It's not practical. It's why we call it work. I had people say, it's not supposed to be fun, Gina. How can you be so selfish to walk away from all this? And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm tortured inside. And so I did, and I will be honest, I did blame the industry and my job for a while because I didn't know how to articulate what was happening. And what was really happening was I was angry. I thought I was angry at the industry, but what I was really angry at was myself for making decisions that I knew were not the right decisions for my career because I was trying to please other people. And that's not to blame anybody else. I'm responsible for those decisions. But once I started making the decisions that were in better alignment, that was not easy either. I definitely made the right decisions. I don't regret any of those decisions, but it had an impact on relationships. When you choose to do the things that make other people uncomfortable, it shows up in relationships. And sometimes those relationships don't survive because it's so uncomfortable. But what I know is that when I was able to get enough distance and perspective, I looked back at my career path and said, you know, it's really unfortunate that I didn't see it this way at the time because it might've changed my whole experience. I got paid really good money to learn all these skills and experience that I now get to use every single day, helping build up other people, helping them build their dreams, including my own. But I didn't see it then. And one of the things I will say to anyone who's listening to this, who's in an eight to five and they're feeling the same thing, look at this as you're getting a lot of experience to do the things that you really want to do. And don't waste the experience because it pays off in the end. And you can look back and say, gosh, I'm so grateful for this while you're in it instead of waiting until it's after. Yeah. If I were to ask you, okay, give me 
three things that people need to walk away here knowing about starting a business that has nothing to do with setting up their website and setting up their lunch and creating their product, right? Like what are these three things that they have to prepare for and that they have to master? Well, I think one, this is a great question. I think the first thing is you have to be clear. You have to be clear on who you are, what you stand for, and what you want your legacy to be. What are you here to create? And what are you here to do? And I think you've got to be really honest about it. So when I first started coaching people, what I learned was I would always ask people, what's your end game? Like, what's your, like, what's your big thing that you want to do? And honestly, if I had a dime for every time I heard this, I could have retired in my first year where people would say, I want to be on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday or I want to do my TED talk, or I want to do my book. And I would go deeper and ask, well, tell me why you want to do these things. And what I really started to learn was that people were looking for significance. And by being seen, that would make them feel significant. And the truth is, you can chase all the external stuff, but it comes from in here. And that's hard. It's hard to realize. It's hard to accept. It's hard to admit, because it brings up all of our stuff around it. So being clear about that, of you know, people talk a lot about your why. And I think your why is important because that's the reason why we choose to do what we do. But your motivation is the action that drives the behavior. So you have to be clear on that too. Another thing is be willing to learn. We come into these industries where we're and try to establish ourselves as an expert. But if we don't have the skills and experience behind it, eventually people will see it. And if you're looking to market to people who are very experienced and you don't have the experience to match or to stay ahead of them, that will show up. So be really clear about who you want to be working with and also be willing to learn and invest in your education, your skills and experience. And I don't necessarily mean that you've got to go back to school and get a degree. If that's what appeals to you and that what, what works for you, great. But there are lots of ways to get education. And I've always been a firm believer that money should not be the thing that stops someone from education. Right. Um, and, and if I can just add to that, I love letting people know that, yes, like you, of course, you know, you can just say, I am an expert at this thing because there are people who are just a few steps behind you and you can turn around right. and teach them. But it's really thinking about what is the big message that you have, right? Don't let these like certifications and going back to school that stop you, right? You can just start talking right. about your message today, start helping people out today. Because I just feel like a lot of people hear this all the time. And at first, before you go into this online coaching world, you know, they can be very jaded about, hey, well, there's people calling themselves experts all the time, right? right. So I love what you said about, hey, your education has not stopped because that's another misconception about coaching. How can I be a coach if I haven't learned everything yet? If I'm right. not the master, I've had clients like that, that I've helped them build their businesses and then they stop because I'm like, well... I'm not done learning yet. And I'm like, who told you you're ever going to stop learning? Right. 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 So you continue to learn and you continue to serve people who are just a few steps behind you. So I love it that you're making that point. Well, thank you. I think it's also important to note that sometimes we discount the experience that we have because it comes from another industry. Yeah. And I think that's important to look at too, because even when I made the change, I mean, here's the truth. I was burned out. I was really burned out by corporate. And instead of acknowledging that I was burned out, I said, I'm going to do something totally different. Right. <laughs> and so I started with life coaching and it was fun and it was interesting and I liked it, but something was missing. 
And then I was like, well, what if I start working with business people who are just starting out? And I loved it. It was so much fun. I could help people. I could see them get results. And that really lit me up until I got bored again. It had Mm -hmm. nothing to do with anybody else. I was just like, something's missing again. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then I really started to realize, oh, you're not tapping into all the skills and experience that you have because you think because it came from someplace else, you can't apply it here. And then I went back and looked at all the things I was most proud of and all the things that I had accomplished or obstacles I'd overcome. And then I would say, how could that apply to a different industry? And then I started to see the patterns. And then I started to bring that in and I started to be able to add more value to the work I was doing with my clients. So don't underestimate or discount past experience. I love that for a couple of reasons. Number one, in corporate America, for some reason, this is a very common thing, by the way. For some reason, we think that the opposite of working in corporate is going and being a teacher. And I'm going to tell you so many times that I said, oh, because we think in corporate America, which by the way, I don't believe this, but when you're in corporate, you're like, oh, being a teacher is quote unquote, is so easy, right? And you get summers off. We have this total misconception of what teaching is just because mm-hmm. it's like the complete opposite of what we're doing at work. So I actually went and I took the teaching certification exam in the state of Massachusetts. And mm-hmm. I went and I started subbing school after two sessions I subbed a kindergarten class and a ninth grade class I turned I'm like heck no respect <laughs> your teachers this is, not, this is not what you're going to see me thrive right here and I was doing exactly what you're saying it's just turn around and say I'm just gonna do the complete opposite of this right not accounting mm-hmm. for the fact that I have been kick-ass project manager for 15 years. And I bring that to my coaching. My coaching is not talk therapy. My coaching is we're going to create a plan and we're going Mm -hmm. to follow up and we're going to get it done. And it's a step-by-step and breaking things down. That's my instincts as a project manager, applying it to people's businesses. You find it more fun to use this approach? Yes, because I actually loved project management. That's a thing that I love to do. So we cut short the third thing. What is that? Give me one more third thing. You got to be willing to play the long game. I'm a big fan of long-term vision and long-term impact. And what I've also found is not always, but a lot of times short-term wins equal short-term gains. And if you're willing to play the long game, meaning if you can make seven figures in 15 minutes, good for you. But that's not most people, (laughs) especially in this industry when there are so many of us, you know, getting started and trying to make six figures or five figures or, you know, whatever your goals are. If you're looking to give yourself an unreasonable deadline, then you got to look at what it's going to take in order for you to meet that goal. If you say, I'm not going to have a life for six months because I'm going to be ramping up and doing this and that is your choice, fine. But if you say, that's not realistic for me, I have all these other obligations, I can't make that kind of money that fast, totally get that too, readjust the expectations. So if you want long-term impact, longevity and sustainability in a business, then the best way to do that is to be willing to look at what's my long-term strategy and what's my end game? What am I really looking to accomplish? And remember that. I am going to inject that thing that I've been teasing that I want to talk to you about. I think Mm -hmm. it fits perfectly here because what you're talking about is remembering that there is nobody out there who has the silver bullet, right? And nobody out there actually has the lottery ticket and the solution and things are just going to work after you do that one thing. And I want you to tell us about the time when you were 
selected to spend a weekend in a workshop with Oprah and Tony Robbins. Oh, okay. Well, that was actually really interesting because I had not been following Tony Robbins at all. I knew of him and I knew what he did. And Oprah was doing her, I think it was called Life Tour, where she was going to all of these different locations and she'd, you know, book out a theater and people would come and they'd participate. So it wasn't a full weekend, but I was a weekend in New York where it took place. And what where are you located? Where are you located right now? I'm in, I'm in Southern California, mm-hmm. um, just outside of LA. So what happened was I happened to be watching an interview that Oprah did with Tony Robbins. And I was like, okay, I've heard all these things about him, but if she's choosing to interview him, now I'm interested in what she sees. So I want to see what she sees. And I'm watching this interview and he says, have you ever felt like you were being led? And all of a sudden I was like, it felt like he was asking me and I was like, yeah, I kind of feel that way right now. So what was really interesting was the very next day I got an email because I was part of some kind of insider group for, for the own network. And they said, if you'd like to participate in one of these things, send us a note. We'll put you in a raffle. Maybe you'll get a ticket. Maybe not. So I do it and totally forget about it. I think a couple of weeks later, I get an email saying, we have two tickets for you. And it was the one with Tony Robbins. They had different guests and teachers. And I had studied with all of them, but this was the one with Tony Robbins. And I was like, all right, I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to go to New York because that's where they were doing it. And I was so excited because this is when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I'm like, this is great. He's talking about overcoming fear and like embracing challenge and like your biggest dreams and da, da, da. And so I go and I'm like, this is it. I'm going to get my answer. I'm going to go back. I'm going to start building whatever it is that I need to do for the rest of my life. And I go in a Radio City Music Hall. I'm in my seat and I look around and the whole theory is packed. And I go, oh, you're an idiot. You're not going to figure anything else out here because you don't do vulnerability. So how are you going to have an experience here if you're not going to let yourself participate, engage, have any feelings, show who you really are. And so I kind of came home a little bummed out that I sat and I witnessed all of this, but I did not allow myself to really dive in and participate. And then I came home and said, all right, I got to find another way here. And then I started doing it in the privacy of my own home, but it still allowed me to get there. So being a part of that, it was interesting because it didn't have the impact that I thought it would have but it had a much greater impact after I got home because I realized if I wanted to participate in life, I had to show up differently. Can you tell me what was it about trying to be vulnerable that was difficult for you at the time? All of it. (laughs) Being vulnerable is, it's not my favorite thing to do because I grew up in an environment and with people where I always felt like people were looking at me differently or had certain expectations of me. And so I kind of created this persona of, I've always got it together, things that are going on in my life or my personal life. And I don't talk about those things and where there are challenges or there are flaws. Those are things for me to deal with, you know, in private. And then I started to learn the difference between what's private and what's personal. And once I started to realize the difference between the two and that I get to control what is private and what is personal, you can ask me something that's personal, but if it's private, I may not share it. Mm -hmm. But if it's not private and it's personal, I may share it. Like you've asked me some personal questions, but you haven't asked me anything that I'm not comfortable sharing. So if there's something I'm not comfortable sharing, I've also given myself permission to say I'm not comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. or to say, thank you, that's private. Let's talk about this instead. 
And I think it's really important to know the difference. And after that session where you came back, you had all these high expectations. You're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to figure everything out on that one night. And you come back and you're like, like the bag is deflated. What happened? What was the precipitating factor that made you go, okay, maybe it's time to dust myself up and start this coaching thing that I've been hearing about? Well, it's funny because I still had not thought about coaching. I actually had a coach back in my corporate days before coaching was really a thing. And my coach said to me at the time, (laughs) she said she would laugh if she heard me say this right now. She said, you know, Gina, one day you may decide to leave your corporate job and become a coach because you'd be really, really good as a coach. And I laughed and I said, oh, that's so funny. I said, I need a real job. I mean, that's really how I, I was like, but I have to have a real job. So that shows you like even my own misconception about what coaching and the coaching industry was. And so for me, what I started doing was I started studying a lot of the personal development leaders and different types of coaches and people who were doing these things on their own to see what the big deal was, what the attraction was, and was there a place for me in the industry? And if so, how was I going to carve out my niche and and my place? Yeah. Can I ask you, what is five in five? So five and five was something that I did when I first started out in my business. That was super fun. So I did a YouTube series before a lot of people were doing YouTube and it was an interview series. And what it was basically based on was a game show kind of format where it was five questions in five minutes. So I never did pre-interview questions. I would say, here's the deal. If you know what's on your website, you're not going to have a problem answering these questions. But if you don't know what you do for a living, it might be tricky for you. And it was so fun because people would get on and they would be so excited. And I'm like, you know, you don't win anything at the end. Like there's not a car vacation, but they loved it because it also taught people how to have like that elevator speech in a very quick instant, how to be able to engage with people very quickly, how to leave a lasting impression, which was part of the reason I did it, but wasn't the full reason I did it. For me, it was more, I love talking to people and hearing about people's stories and their backgrounds because I think those are the things that make us who we are. And it was a really fun way for me to get to know people in a way that I could also showcase their own talents and gifts. Is that still out there? I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. Because I'm very good at that. The reason why I stopped doing it is honestly, because I have clients that need me (laughs) and I did not have the bandwidth to do it. That is a thing for me. And it's always been a thing for me that when a client is calling, everything else gets put on hold. Yeah. And, the, and but I don't the regret that. It's, but the series itself, I tried to find episodes and I couldn't find them. Like, are they still I have, out I there? I have them all. I have them all. Yeah, they're on YouTube, but you do have to search for them. Yeah. So yeah. as we're winding down, I really want to know, another thing that is in your history and it's something that I believe you continue to do is you are a B-School mentor for the Marie Forleo B-School program. How did that come into your life and how did you get so involved with it? Oh, I think I'm one of the luckiest people in the world that I get to be one of the mentors. I think that this may have been my fourth year and I was asked if it was something that I would be interested in participating in and I was definitely interested I had no expectations around anything other than I thought it was going to be a really fun and interesting experience. What I did not know was not just how much fun it was, but the chemistry within the mentor team and the way that it's led. And Marie is 
She's inspiring. She is one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my career. I have a lot of respect for her as a colleague. And even, you know, she's been somebody who's inspired me. And I would consider an indirect mentor when I did B-School, you know, back in 2013. I think her program is rock solid. And if you take the lessons and you implement what you're learning, you will see results. That's exactly how I got results in my business. My favorite thing about it is the B-Schoolers. Getting to have even a small impact on someone's business and experience, especially when someone feels like they can't do something because they don't necessarily know how to do it or they don't have the experience or it's a limiting belief. To be able to explain to someone how to break it down and that they can actually do it and then have them come back and say, oh my gosh, you were right. I did this and this is the outcome I got. I don't care about being right. What I care about is that it impacted somebody's confidence and now they're able to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Mm -hmm. That to me is priceless. That is awesome. And we're definitely going to put links in the show notes so that people can go and dig up that program because we talk about this a lot. Actually, we, we've talked to so many people who have been through B-School that I feel like people should at least know what it is. It's um, a great program. And can I ask you, because I know that your big message right now is about diversity and inclusion. And I wanted to know where that came from. What was the origin of you saying, my voice needs to be in this conversation? Where did that start? Well, it actually in my corporate days when we didn't even call it DEI, we didn't even call it diversity and inclusion. Like We just had diversity because nobody <laughs> knew what they were doing at the time. And in my corporate days, they tapped a number of us, like maybe I'm going to guess like 20 to 25 max in a major corporation and said, we would love you to participate in our diversity program. So I'm like, this is great. So I go to this meeting and I'm with a colleague of mine who happens to be a man of color. And I noticed that everyone in the room, we're all from a marginalized demographic that all is related to race. And I'm thinking, something's not right here. And so I look at my friend and I said, are we in the right room? And he said, I think we're here to learn how to make white people comfortable. And that's exactly what we were there to do. Wow. And it was like, okay, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but this is fascinating to me. And so I was taking classes on the side just to learn about it. But I always worked on more of the sales side of things. And the reason I did not move to HR, quite honestly, was because I was making really good money in sales and I loved what I was doing. It was really fun. So when I started to make the shift and started looking at diversity and inclusion, it was always a part of everything I did in business because in my corporate days, I worked with a lot of marginalized market segments. Mm -hmm. So I got to learn about how people over a certain age are treated and are farmed out and disregarded or dismissed. Same thing about people from certain races and demographics. So I was learning about it all along the way. I just wasn't formally like a DEI person, but it was always a big part of our jobs because of who we worked with. So when I went out on my own and I started in this business, I started bringing it into things. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Because when I would talk about it or I'd even touch on it, I would watch the glazed over eyes, people changing the subject. <laughs> they didn't want to talk about it because people didn't see the value in it yet which is sad to admit that we don't see the value of people because that's what we're really saying here. Mm -hmm. And then things started to shift in our industry. But what was happening was I was always teaching things that were related to diversity and inclusion. I just did not point them out. I would say, this is how you treat clients like a VIP. 
This is how you have hard conversations because that resonated with people. And then when it became a bigger topic and conversation, people started saying, when did you start teaching this stuff? And I said, well, I've been teaching it. I just had to call other things to get you guys to pay attention. Yeah. And, and now, crazy. you know, and now I've really more formalized it and I have, you know, certificate from Cornell in diversity and inclusion and continue my ongoing education. Cause what I've learned is this is an evolving conversation and will be. And this is why I talk about why ongoing experience and education is so important. If I stopped with DEI back when I first learned it at the beginning of time, it is very different then than how it shows up now. What do you think people need to know and do in their businesses right now when it comes to diversity and inclusion? I'm talking in the online coaching industry. What is one thing people can take away that they really should use in their business? Well, I mean, I would love to tell you the first thing you should do is implement this. But here's the truth. The first thing you should do is look at this as a functional area of your business. Just like you have sales, operations, customer service, you should also have DEI. If you are not looking at it that way, then what you're doing is you're putting on a temporary Band-Aid or a short-term bridge. And what will happen, and I see this over and over and over again, where people go in and they say, I'm going to make an inclusive business, and they swap out photos on their website. They change the language. Everything looks great on the outside, but they've done no work on the inside. And here's what you should know. When you make an active decision to say that you're going to be inclusive, you've just invited more eyes on you because people want to know what you're doing and how you're doing it. And if you have not started from the inside out, it is going to cost you a lot more money. There'll be a lot more damage to repair because you've set it up this way. And I can't stress that enough. I'm not saying it to make people fearful or to freak people out, but DNI does freak people out because people are afraid of having these conversations. So if you approach it with fear, and use fear-based strategies, you are not going to get what you want. So you got to look at it as, how do I make this a functional part of my business, just like everything else? And again, go for the long-term gains. That does not mean that you'll never make mistakes. We will always make mistakes for human beings. But the more information you have and the better prepared you are, the easier it will be to overcome those mistakes when they happen. I love it. That is one thing that I used to work on a lot when I was in corporate. I was also a member of the Hispanic Forum of, you know, Equality Alliances and all of that. And it's it's so important to me to make sure that I bring that voice. Now that we have a voice in our business, we're basically, I like to call myself like the president of my feed. If I don't see anybody else talking about inclusivity and diversity and the things that are going on in the world in the way that I want to see them talk about it, then I'm going to start with me. And as the president of my feed, I get to say the things that I wish the president were saying, the leaders were saying, I'm going to be that leader in my feed because nobody can tell me what I can, I can't post. So instead of going out there and criticizing everybody else, I'm going to start with this feed. That's what people are going to get here. So thank you so much for that. You're Um, welcome. Let me ask you, what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? Uh, The biggest misconception. Well, and this started with our interview um, before we went live is people always think I'm an East Coast person. Everyone thinks I'm based in and from New York. I'm a Southern California native. I've traveled all over the world, but Southern California has always been home for me. But as a business person, I was going to say that I work all the time, but I do work all the time. Um, <laughs> people got that so, right. Yeah. So people do get that right. Or maybe that is the misconception. So I do work all the time. I am not one of those people. And I think this is an ongoing issue in our industry where people think that 
building a business is like an eight week course. And then it's a set it and forget it. And you make money in your sleep. That has never been my experience in this industry. So my team and I have this ongoing joke where they'll say, I need you to send me some selfies for social media. And I go, okay, so would you like a picture of me with my laptop on the couch? Or do you want a picture of me with my laptop on the chair? Because that's pretty much what I do is I move from one place to another, but it's me in the laptop. It's not me and a bunch of people at the beach. It's not me having drinks with my friends. I don't drink, but even still, it's none of that because I'm working all the time. So I think that's probably the biggest misconception is that I'm not somebody who has like a lot of flexibility throughout the day because I have a lot of work to do and I'm grateful that I have this opportunity. And so I think, oh, I think this is the real answer. People tell me all the time, it's not healthy for you to work this much and you should take a break. And here's how I feel. This is something I have wanted my entire life is to have a positive impact on people and people's lives. And it's kind of like getting to the party you've been waiting for your entire life. And then I go, I'm just going to sit out here and I'm good. I won't go into the party. I'm just going to sit out here. So for me, it's like when people say, how can you work this hard or how can you work this much? For me, it's how can I not? This is what I've been waiting for my whole life. So that's probably the biggest misconception is people think that because I work all the time, I'm not happy. I love that. I love that so much. And finally, if our listeners had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? I think the most important thing that you can do today, especially if you're starting out in business or you're newer in your business, if you have not gotten really clear about your core pillars of your business and who you are, that is really, really important. If you don't know who you are, you can't lead other people where you want to go. If you don't know where you're going, you cannot get them there. So look at who you are, how you want to show up, what is your mission and the impact that you want to make, and who are the people that you want to align yourself with? And do those people match your values? So in order to know your values, you've got to identify them. And if you haven't done that or you haven't revisited them in a long time, now is a good time to go back and do that because we are seeing a shift in the industry again. Awesome. Get your values straight. Gina Gomez, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing all this with us. Oh, likewise. This has been so much fun. Thank you very much. Where can people go and find you and follow you and learn more about you? You can follow me at my website at ginagomez.com, G-I-N-A-G-O-M-E-Z. Or you can find me on social media. It's the same handle anywhere you go. And it's the at sign with I am Gina Gomez. Love it. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hey there, Ina here. After this interview, you may be wondering how you can also step into your expertise so that you can start to see changes in your life and in your business, even if you are just starting out. Stay tuned for the next companion episode where I will teach you three things you can start doing right now that will make the biggest difference in your mindset as a business owner. And if you're an entrepreneur and you'd like to send us your tip of the week for a chance to get featured on a future companion episode, make sure to go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash tip to request the full instructions. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening. You know that part in this episode that made you go, oh my God, I need to write that down. I want to know what that was. So go over to Instagram and find me at 
your engagement coach and send me a DM. I want to hear it. And if your business bestie is missing out on all of these juicy strategies, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode and share it to your stories. Remember to tag me so that I can thank you personally for all your support. I'll see you on the next episode.